<coughs> Genesis chapter 15 this morning. And I'm just going to read from verse 1 as we begin. Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Let's open with a word of prayer. <coughs> Dear Lord and Father, we thank you. Lord, we are able to be here again this morning, gathered in this place to spend time together as a body of believers and spend time around your word. We pray, Lord, that you bless our time as we consider your word this morning. You would just uh, speak to our hearts. You would teach us, instruct us, maybe refresh us through your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would empower me through the Spirit uh, as only you can. You give me wisdom as I speak this morning. That it be your words, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would uh, meet each of us where we're at, and that, Lord, you receive the glory, uh, the honor, and the praise, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, Abraham has just returned, if you remember, from the slaughter of the kings of the east. Uh, he's chased after them, and he rescued his nephew Lot, and, of course, he rescued all the other captivity, uh, captives, sorry, all the other people. And he returned back down the Jordan Valley with those people. And we saw last Sunday evening that he was met as he was returning by these two kings in the valley of Shaver. And the first king, of course, was the mysterious character Melchizedek. And we looked at him last Sunday evening and we said that more than likely he is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, a Christophany, uh, the Lord coming out to meet with his servant to meet with Abraham and to refresh him. And we said that he refreshed him physically, giving him food and, and wine, and he also refreshed him spiritually, reminding Abraham who gave him the victory in that battle. And then immediately following that, he was met by the king of Sodom, uh, who offered him, of course, all the, the spoils of the battle. He offered him to keep everything. And we talked about how this would have been a large uh, amount of wealth, okay? not just from the five cities there in the valley, but indeed all the other cities that that uh, confederacy of kings had defeated along the way. And so it was a large amount of wealth that was offered to Abraham, but Abraham understood that if he claimed the wealth, claimed the spoils, he would be claiming the glory, the victory for himself, and, and he refused uh, the spoils. He put his trust instead in the Lord to be his portion to take care of his needs. And now we come to chapter 15. And as chapter 15 begins, it, it almost seems that there's a change in Abraham. That in that period of time between the end of chapter 14 and the, the start of chapter 15, something's changed. You see, no longer do we see a man full of boldness and confidence. We don't see the, the same man who's just defeated the four kings of the east. We don't see the same man who just with confidence and faith has uh, rejected the spoils of war. Said, no, thank you. I'll trust in the Lord. You see, it's almost as if Abraham has you know, come down from the high of the victory and now he's in the valley after the victory. You know, he's, he's returned back to his tent there in the land of Canaan and as he sits there and he begins his life again, you know, there in the land of Canaan, he begins to think about all these things and, and things start to change as he ponders these things. He starts to ponder what the consequences might be of what's just occurred. He begins to wonder also where the fulfillment of the promises that the Lord has given to him. 
the promise of a son. And so we see a man now filled with doubt and fear, uh, and we see the Lord, as always, the Lord comes to encourage his servant. The Lord's timing is always perfect, isn't it? Okay? We see a man, he's got doubt and fears, and the Lord meets with Abraham to encourage and strengthen his servant. Notice firstly here this morning, we see Abraham's fear. We see Abraham's fear. Look there with me in verse 1. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am the shield and thy exceeding great reward. Verse 1 begins with the Lord now coming and meeting with his servant yet again, and this time he meets with him in a vision. And it's clear that Abraham, he's in need of this meeting. Okay, When the Lord meets with him, it's, uh, it's in God's perfect timing. Abraham needs this meeting. Abraham is afraid. He's filled with fear. And we know that because the Lord says to him, Abram, fear not. Okay, God doesn't just say that to his servants. There's a reason why he says that to Abraham here. Because God knows that Abraham here is filled with fear. There is something he's afraid of. Something has stirred up this fear in him and he is at this time in need of some reassurance, some encouragement from his Lord. As we said in the introduction, this seems to be a far cry from where he was at the end of chapter 14, doesn't it? Okay, chapter 14, it ends on a high with him in a place of great victory. So how does he go from being in a place of great confidence in the Lord to now being in this place of fear? and in need of the encouragement of the Lord. What is it that's causing him to be afraid? Well, from the end of the verse, it seems that there's two causes of this fear. You see, the end of verse 1 there, excuse me, the wind's blowing my pages around. End of verse 1 there, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The Lord says to him here, he says that I am your shield and your reward. And so this implies that these are the two concerns that he has. You see, shield talks about uh, safety, doesn't it? Okay, it talks about safety, it talks about protection. And so it seems that Abraham at this time, he's fearful for his safety and he's fearful for the safety of his family. And this makes sense because Abraham has just returned from defeating the four kings of the east. And, you know, of course, as we saw, he defeated them with a tiny little band of men, 318 men, his own servants that he had armed. It was a seemingly impossible task, and yet God gave him this great victory over the enemy. You know, in doing so, Abraham had made an enemy, hadn't he? Okay, he'd made an enemy of these four kings, you remember before this, he'd sort of sat by and watched all this take place. He didn't act until Lot was taken captive. And so he didn't need to get involved, did he? But he'd gotten involved, and in doing so, he'd made an enemy. You know, these are the same kings who had gone to the trouble of leaving the Babylonian region, traveling all the way across to the west to deal with the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities that had rebelled against them. You see, the point is that these kings were not the kind of men who just simply forgave. Okay? If they were troubled enough to come and deal with these cities, they're troubled enough to deal with one man. That's the point here. Now, the commentator Meyer writes this, 
there was good reason for him to fear. The arm of the warrior king had been long enough to reach Sodom. Why should it not be long enough and strong enough to avenge his defeat upon one lonely man? It could not be believed that the mighty monarch would settle down content until the memory of his disastrous defeat was wiped out with blood. And so that's the point here. I mean, Abraham, as he sits in his tent, he begins to think, hang on, what's the consequences of this going to be? You know, are these kings going to come, back, turn around and come back and deal with me, deal with my family? And so this seems to be his first source of fear, protection, safety. But then we see the Lord also assures him that he is re- his reward And that tells us that he's also concerned about his provisions, okay? Provisions of his needs. You know, as we saw, he just turned down the spoils of war, hadn't he? Okay, he'd been offered all that wealth by the king of Sodom and he'd he'd refused that wealth, that wealth that by custom did belong to him. He could have justly claimed it for himself, but he turned it down. And so now as he sits in his tent, he's contemplating what the consequences of that will be. Now, yes, Abraham is a rich man. We've talked about that before, haven't we? Okay, he came back from Egypt, uh, increased in riches. You've got to remember that since then, Lot has taken the best land, the most productive land, the, the fertile plain of Jordan. He's taken that for himself, and Abraham's been left with the more desolate land. Okay, a land that is at this time still recovering from that famine. Okay, that was the whole reason Abraham went down to Egypt, remember? It was the famine in the land that was decimating the land. And so the land is still recovering from that famine. And Abraham's got the the lesser portion of land. He doesn't have the fertile plain. He's got the, the lesser, more desolate land. Now the commentator Getz writes this. He says, His mighty herds and flocks would have quickly eaten every living herb that was struggling to grow in this rather desolate land, just recovering from a very severe famine. And so that's the point here. He seems to also be concerned about his provisions, how he's going to provide for his family, how he's going to meet these needs. And so Abraham here is in a time of fear. He's afraid. He's worried about these things. And of course, as we said, right on cue, as always, the Lord arrives to encourage his servant. And he declares, he says, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. You know, the Lord here comes and addresses both of Abraham's concerns, doesn't he? He addresses both of them. You know, he first of all assures Abraham, he says, I am your shield. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? A wonderful promise of protection. You see, Abraham didn't need to fear that the kings of the east. He didn't need to fear anyone because God was his shield. He didn't need any other shield. He didn't need any other protection God was his shield. God would protect him. One commentator noted this. He said, What could have been more reassuring at this moment to the defenseless pilgrim with no stockade or walled city in which to shelter than to hear that God himself was around him, a vast, impenetrable, invisible shield. I am thy shield. I mean, they're wonderful words, aren't they? Wonderful words that the Lord comes and speaks to his servant. They're exactly what Abraham needed to hear at this point in time. An assurance, a reminder 
that his God is watching over him, that his God is protecting him. And so he has nothing to fear. But not only that, the Lord addresses his second concern, doesn't he? His concern of his provisions. He says, and thy exceeding great reward. As I said, Abraham has just turned down the wealth of the, the, the spores of war. He's turned that down. And God here assures Abraham, he says, you haven't missed out. Don't worry, Abraham, I will provide. I'll take care of you. God declares, he says, I am thy exceeding great reward. Again, what better reward can there be? What better reward? What better protection than I am thy shield? What better reward than I am thy reward? That's what the Lord says to him here. You see, Abraham is given the assurance by God that as he follows him by faith, as he follows the Lord's will, every need will be provided. Why? Because God is his reward and his God is the possessor of heaven and earth. Remember, that's what Melchizedek said to him when he met with him. He called God the God of heaven, the the God who possesses heaven and earth. And that's who Abraham's God is. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and Abraham here is assured, Abraham, I am your reward. God would not let him down. As I was thinking about that this week, you know, there are times when we all, like Abraham, go through periods of fear, don't we? Periods where we we sort of fear provisions, we fear how we're going to be protected, and we're concerned about these things. You know, perhaps we've taken a stand for our faith, a bit like Abraham, to a stand against the the kings of the east. We've taken a stand for our faith, and we made a, a bold declaration for the Lord. You know, and then afterwards we, we go back home, we settle down, we start to think about it, and we think, what are the consequences going to be? How's the world going to react? How are my friends going to react? How are people going to react towards me? We start to become fearful of the consequences. You know, perhaps it's in a provision sense, a, a financial sense. You know, we, we've turned a job down, or we've left the job because the Lord led us to do it. And so we've moved on, and then after we've made that decision, we've looked back and thought, hang on, how am I going to provide? Where is it going to come from? You see, these are genuine fears that do enter in, that we do face as believers. You know, the wonderful truth is that just like Abraham, God assures us, he says, fear not, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I mean, those words that God spoke to Abraham are just as true for us. You know, they're words that we can claim as believers. He is our shield and he is our reward. If we're in the Lord's will, walking by faith, then we truly have nothing to fear, do we? Nothing to fear from men and we have nothing to fear from provisions, our needs. We have nothing to fear. The Lord will protect. The Lord will provide. Psalm 84, uh, I think, sums up this truth well. Let's just turn there. Psalm 84. In Psalm 84 and verse 11, we read this. Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. It's a wonderful truth, isn't it? The Lord is our sun and shield. He will give grace and glory and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk upright. If we're walking in the will of the Lord, God is with us and he will provide for us. He will protect us. 
We have nothing to fear. We see secondly here this morning, Abraham's concern. We've seen his fear, and now we see his concern. Go back to chapter 15 with me and read from verse 2. Chapter 15, verse 2, it says, And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. We see, secondly, Abraham's concern. You know, having heard these wonderful words of comfort and assurance from the Lord, I am your shield and exceeding great reward, we see that Abraham now expresses another concern that's on his heart. You know, he's open here with the Lord, and he expresses a concern that's been weighing upon him. And that concern is the fulfillment of God's promise, and in particular, the promise that he shall have an heir. You see, back in chapter 12, the Lord had issued this promise to Abraham when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Just go back there, chapter 1, no, sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I'll make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I'll bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. In verse 2 in particular, it says, And I'll make of thee a great nation. That was the, the promise the Lord had given to him when he called him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and, and to journey to the land of Canaan, God had given this promise that from him he would make a great nation. And so the promise of a son is implied, isn't it? Okay, that's the promise. It's implied that he will have a son and that from that son will, he will have many descendants. He will be a great nation. And Abraham had believed that promise. In faith he left Ur and he journeyed across to the land of Canaan. He believed God. In chapter 13, verse 16, we saw the Lord reiterate this promise to Abraham. Chapter 13, verse 16, it says, And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. And so we see the Lord here reiterate the promise. He declares to Abraham, he says that your seed will be as the dust of the earth. It will be without number. Okay, it'll be exceeding grace. And now here in chapter 15, you know, quite a few years have now passed before, since that first uh, promise was issued at Ur. Since the Lord first gave him that promise. And yet Abraham still here in chapter 15 finds himself seemingly no closer to the fulfillment of the promise. He still finds himself here without an heir, without a son. As I said, he seems to be no closer to that time when that promise will be fulfilled. And so Abraham here, he's pouring out his heart to God. And he questions how God intends to fulfill this promise and when God in intends to fulfill it. Read there again verse 2, chapter 15, verse 2. It says, And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? 
And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. You see, the only heir that Abraham had at this time to everything that he owned was his steward of his house, Eliezer. It's one of Damascus. He was the only heir that he had. You know, Lot was no longer in the picture, his nephew. You know, perhaps at one stage, Abraham had thought maybe Lot's going to be the fulfillment of this. Maybe, you know, he's going to be like my adopted son and he will fulfill the promise. But Lot's not in the picture. He's gone and done his own thing. He's over in Sodom. And all the rest of Abraham's relatives, they're kilometers away back in Haran to the east. And so if he was to die anytime soon, Eliezer would get everything, okay, the steward of his house. And basically, Abraham asked the Lord, he says, is that your will? Is that your will? You know, it's as if Abraham asked the Lord, he, you know, he says, Lord, did I misunderstand the original promise? You know, perhaps all you meant by it was that one born in my house would be the heir, would be the seed. And so Abraham here, he's not really, he's not rejecting the promise of the Lord. It's more that he's concerned about it. He's concerned as to when it's going to happen. How is it going to be fulfilled? When is it going to take place, Lord? It seems like he's not getting any closer to it. You know, since he left Ur and he traveled all this way, all these other things have taken place, and yet nothing seems to have moved in regards to this promise. Nothing seems to have changed. And in verse 4 and 5, we once again see the Lord's gracious response to his servant. In verse 4 it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Here we see the Lord's now, he's gracious once again as he responds to his servant. He doesn't rebuke Abraham here, does he? He doesn't rebuke him. He understands Abraham's concern. He understands this is on his heart. And the Lord graciously responds to him. And you know, the Lord basically assures Abraham that that his delay in fulfilling this promise was not a denial of the promise. That's a wonderful thing. Okay, God's delay was not a denial of the promise. God had not forgotten what he had said to Abraham. God would fulfill it in his perfect timing. And in verse 4, he makes it very clear to Abraham that the seed, the promised heir of everything he owns, would be his own son. Okay, in verse 4 it says... And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. The Lord makes it clear that Eliezer, he's not going to be the heir. He's not the fulfillment of this promise. No, Abraham is going to have a son. Out of his own bowels, his own flesh and blood would be the heir. You know, this is the first time the Lord has stated this promise very clearly. Okay? Before this, he's implied it, hasn't he? Okay, in chapter 12 and chapter 13, it was implied. Now the Lord makes it very clear. Abraham can't misunderstand now, can he? God's very clear that the seed would be his own son. And in verse 5, the Lord almost takes Abraham outside and directs his attention towards the heavens. He says, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, And tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, 
so shall thy seed be. The Lord takes him outside and he says, Abraham, look up. Look at the stars of heaven. Your seed will be as the stars of heaven without number. Now in chapter 13, the Lord had told him to look down, to look at the dust of the earth, and he said, your seed will be as the dust of the earth. Now the Lord says, look up to the stars of heaven. You know, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Because from now on, whenever Abraham went out at night and he saw the stars of heaven, he's reminded of this promise, that his seed will be without number. When he's, during the days, he looks down at the dust, he's reminded of the promise. Doesn't matter where he looked, Abraham is reminded, he's assured of God's word, of this promise that he will have a seed and that from that seed will come many descendants, a great nation. You know, if Abraham had been confused or uncertain as to how the law was going to fulfill the promise before this, he knew exactly what God meant now, didn't he? God had given him exactly what he needed to hear. God had assured his servants so that Abraham now by faith could believe the Lord, believe his word. You know, as believers, the Lord has given us many assurances, hasn't he? He's given us many precious promises in the word, promises that as believers we can claim as our own. We can claim them and we can stand upon them in faith. You know, like Abraham, there are times when you know, we can find ourselves wondering when the Lord is going to fulfill his promises, can't we? You know, we, we know God's word says this, and yet it seems like God's not acting, and so we wonder, we, we're concerned, Lord, when are you going to act? You know, like Abraham, we need to realize the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And he will always fulfill his word. It's just in his perfect timing, not our timing. In his way, not our way. You know, in particular, as I was thinking about this, the promise that came to mind was the return of the Lord. The return of our Lord and Saviour. We know the promise well. First Thessalonians, just turn there. First Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. They are a comfort, aren't they? These wonderful words, wonderful declaration that the Lord will return for His church, will return for the bride, and He will take us home to be with him. And this is a promise that the Lord gave at the very beginning of the church age. In Acts chapter 1 verse 11, as the, the angels declared to the disciples, they said, you know, that this same Jesus that you see God up in heaven will come in like manner. That's what they said there in Acts chapter 1 verse 11. The angels to the disciples. You know, almost 2,000 years has passed since that declaration. And still the Lord has not returned. 
And still we wait for the Lord to come again. Still we wait for the fulfillment of His promise. But you see, like Abraham, we need to remember that God's delay is not a denial of His promise. God's delay is not a denial. It's not, it's not an indication to us that the Lord has forgotten. It's not an indication that He's changed His word. You know, Peter makes that very point, doesn't he? Second Peter. Just turn there, Second Peter. <clears throat> Chapter 3. Second <clears throat> Peter, chapter 3, and verse, verse 3. Let's just start there. It says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of, cre- of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also shall be, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. I mean, Peter addresses this very issue, doesn't he? Now at the start there, he says that there are some men who say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the fulfillment? And what does he say in verse 9? He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. You see, the Lord is not slack. There is a reason the Lord seemingly delays. I mean, we look around the world today and we see it getting worse, don't we? It it seems to just be rushing towards the time when the Lord will pour out His judgment upon the earth. It's becoming more and more wicked and we look at it and we wonder, how much more, Lord? How long before you come? How much more can you wait? But there is a reason the Lord seems to delay, isn't there? It's His long-suffering. And Peter says that. He says in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There is a reason the Lord seems to delay. He wants more to come to Him. He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. You see, we have the assurance that God will fulfill His promise, but it will be in His perfect timing. And so like Abraham, we have to accept by faith and rely upon his promise. Trust that God knows best. And wait patiently upon him. You know, this is true of any promise, isn't it? Any promise that the Lord gives to us, any promise in his word, we can know that if God has said it, he will perform it. He doesn't give us a promise and then deny it. God will fulfill it. God's delay is never a denial of what he has promised. God's timing is always best. You know, following this wonderful word of assurance from the Lord, addressing both Abraham's fears and his concerns, 
We see now, thirdly, Abraham's response. Let's go back there, Genesis 15. And verse 6, we see Abraham's response. It says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Here we see a most wonderful response from God's servant, Abraham. It says, He believed in the Lord. He believed. Abraham responded in faith. He believed the truth that God had declared unto him, the truth that God was his shield and his reward. He believed the promise that he would have a son, he would have an heir, and his descendants would be as the stars of the heaven. He believed God's word. Wiersbe writes this, Abraham believed God, which is literally, Abraham said, Amen, God. The Hebrew word translated believed means to lean your whole weight upon. Abraham leaned wholly on the promise of God and the God of the promise. And that's the declaration here. Abraham says, Amen, God. And he believes God. He takes God at his word. And he leans fully upon it. And in the second half of the verse, it goes on. It says, And he counted it to him for righteousness. You know, it was his faith in God that made Abraham righteous. It was his faith that had saved him. Now, Abraham was already, I believe, saved before this. And we talked about this back in chapter 12. He's already saved. He'd already demonstrated his faith in God on many occasions. One of them being leaving Ur of the Chaldees in obedience. Okay, that was a demonstration of his faith. What we have here is a declaration of the fact that it's his faith that had saved him. It's his faith that made him righteous before God. And it was by that same faith that Abraham now lived daily, trusting in the Lord. It was that same faith that Abraham now placed in the promises of God, in the word of God that God had just spoken to him. You see, the same is true for us as believers today. We are wonderfully, gloriously saved by faith, aren't we? Saved by faith. When we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are counted righteous before God. His righteousness is imputed to us. But that's only the very beginning of the Christian life. That's the very beginning. That's how it starts. But then we are to daily walk by that same faith, aren't we? That same faith that saved us is to govern our lives daily. It's the faith by which we are to live. Romans chapter 1, just quickly. Romans 1, verse 17. Romans 1. Verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We are saved by faith, and we are to live by faith. That same faith is to govern our lives day by day. Trusting in the promises, in the, the assurances that God has given us in His Word. You know, there will be times in our Christian walk where, like Abraham, we will go through those valleys. Like Abraham, we will be fearful, concerned about the future. But in those times, we need to remember the Word of the Lord. We need to remember His words unto us. We need to remember that He is our shield and He is our reward. He is our protector and provision. And so we have nothing to fear. 
we also need to remember that the future is in his hands. And that he's faithful to keep his promises. You know, with the knowledge of those truths, we truly can cast all our care upon him, can't we? Cast all our care upon him and walk daily by faith. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your servant Abraham. And Lord, once again, for the, the example that we see in his life. And Lord, we all at times go through those valleys where we're fearful, where we're concerned about the future. Lord, help us in those times to remember that you are our shield, you are our reward. Help us to remember that you are a God who keeps your promises and that, Lord, your delay is never a denial of that promise. Lord, may you strengthen our faith this morning. May we leave this place, Lord, being refreshed by your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.